0: All righty, folks, welcome back. Got rid of those folks on the radio. Uh, Thanks for staying with us. We've got a great overtime lined up for you today. Uh, Our second half of the program where we are online only and podcast feeds Facebook and YouTube. Uh, We appreciate you staying with us. We have um, on the line right now Tony Rosario, a team star from New York. New York. New York. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jacob. <laughs> Tony, I appreciate it. So, folks, I met Tony Rosario at Chicago, uh, in Chicago, at the Labor Notes convention, um, and he is he has been a member of the Teamsters for over twenty years. Uh, his his looks are his looks are going to fool you because he does not look like he could say that uh, but (laughs) he shared on Twitter last week a picture of him from the 97 UPS strike and he's got long hair he's got his short sleeve shirt is all rolled up and everything you're really rocking the look there Uh, so you're definitely been in the union for at least 20 years uh, that's for sure 28 to be exact 28 years wow so and you have a Union Talk Radio show in New York.
1: We do, we have uh, unionpowerradio.com.
0: That's awesome.
1: Unionpowerradio.com. Yeah. What the what the heck show <laughs> cuz it's always like what the heck is happening here.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that seems uh that tracks, with, <laughs> that, that, that tracks with somebody that's concerned with uh, uh, how working people are going to do, uh, what the heck is going to be a common response to a lot of the news. Uh, so on Union Power, it, y- y'all are pretty tightly focused on like Teamster stuff, right?
1: Yeah. And it's a lot, a lot of it is based on UPS Teamsters. Gotcha. So uh, here at Local 804, I'm a Teamster with Local 804 for over 28 years, been a UPSer, did uh, part-time work on the inside, as you saw from the picture. Uh, In 1997, I was working two separate part-time shifts, getting paid part-time wages and not getting a fair shake, which is one of the reasons we went on strike in 97, were for people doing the work that I was doing, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And then later on, I became a full-time driver. Thanks to the 97 strike, I got a full-time job. I ended up going into full-time driving. And then I did that for about almost 20 years. And then I went back inside into the factory again to do clerical work until I started. Well, not clerical. It was like cl- a clerk job where you fix uh, dress corrections for UPS. And mm. then uh, then after that, I started doing some organizing for the union.
0: Gotcha. And so are you on staff with the union now or are you still um... – Yes.
1: I'm okay. on staff with the union now. Mm-hmm.
0: Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, That is my uh, my uncle was chief steward of of the Huntsville UPS workers um, for a while. And he said that um, he really proudly told me that he was on local news uh, during the 97 strike talking about um, uh, talking, you know, talking about the same things that you were talking about, why you went on strike and, and the things that, you know, y'all need to be getting and stuff like that. So, um, so, so that's a pretty cool thing that I just learned recently, actually.
1: Well, uh, kudos to your uncle. It was because of guys like him and, 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 you know, a lot of the old timers that were out on that picket line that we were able to fight for, you know, what, what the workers were able to get back then, which was, you know, a higher salary, more full-time jobs, and uh, we really kind of kicked them in the teeth that year. They were actually trying to also take over our health and welfare. And we were like, yeah, that's not going to happen.
0: So Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember reading something about that. And 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 so normally, or, or currently as it stands and as it stood then, uh, the union is actually the ones that are in charge of y'all's health care and, and retirement. Is that right?
1: Well, yeah, for most of the full timers, and it depends what part of the country, but a lot of the, a lot of the part-timers on what's called Team Care, and that's separate from us. That's where we have this divide between full-time and part-time worker, which was created over the years under the Hoff administration. So, mm-hmm. you know, this, these are things that, that we can't allow anymore. It's just, you know, that's why we're happy. We fought, we fought for new leadership with Sean O'Brien. We got a good new uh, group of international leaders, and here in eight hundred four, we also fought about six, almost, almost six years now. Uh, for, well, five and a half years for new leadership here in uh, local Belato 42. So a lot of the locals across the country were starting to become reformed and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. good people were taking them over. And then that proceeded onto a big drive, big campaign to change international leadership, which is why there's so much talk now of the 2023 contract campaign negotiations coming up soon. So, yeah, that's definitely uh, right now the talk of the town. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a lot of attention around the heat lately, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, especially with Local 804. We've been uh, bringing it to uh, just about everyone who would listen to us. Uh, Well, not even bringing it, just they're asking us for uh, what's what's happening.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk about the heat because there's been some crazy. I've seen UPS drivers uh, having those temperature guns. And clocking it at 120 degrees inside of their um, inside their trucks.
1: Yeah, some of them are even going higher. Uh, the act- I had a, a guy who had a regular oven thermometer and it reached about 129, 130 degrees. Um, wow. I saw pictures. I, I created a post because I saw these these posts being shared, and I said, I said, you know, I want everybody to start showing their temps. And sure enough. We were getting – and if it's 90 outside, the temperature in those trucks is easily 20, 30 degrees. Right. Um, so you're looking at 129, 130. Some people were up to 140, 150. I was seeing posts from people in Georgia, Vegas, Arizona. I mean even – parts. where were you guys from? Down in uh, Alabama?
0: Alabama, yeah.
1: Yeah. Texas. I mean ev- everywhere. And it was just insane to see the amount of – One, the amount of people that were posting about it because they weren't scared to Mm -hmm. talk about it. The amount of people that actually go out with thermometers in their truck because they want to know how hot hot it is in their vehicles. And it goes the same for the warehouse employees because they're offloading those trailers, you know, and those trailers are like ovens, just like the package cars. They're out there in the sun and they just generate tons of heat. And honestly, a lot of the workers are saying, well, you know, we've done it for so long. But you know what is enough is enough so what does that right. mean so we should have make conditions better for our workers so i had to do it for 28 years and i suffered through it to me it was survival techniques that we used to use that i learned from the old timers having a cooler with ice hoping mm-hmm. that your ice doesn't melt so you can rub it on yourself to keep cool i mean these were all things we tried you go inside somewhere that had air conditioning to stay cool but that's enough is enough already why why should the next generation have to suffer the way we did you know we're not in the stone ages anymore right jacob they have plenty of technology out there that's available that they can find better ways of cooling the trucks off better ventilation systems air conditioning whatever is necessary to keep the drivers and the workers in these warehouses cool and and, and instead of spending billions that they make because they make tons this company made An astronomical amount of money during the pandemic Mm -hmm. from customers that originally weren't shopping online, who ended up shopping online. You know, those old school customers that actually wanted to go to stores. Well, they got a little taste. They got a little taste of what online shopping is. So those are our new customers on top of the ones we already had. So it just pretty much almost doubled and tripled between companies like UPS and Amazon. Anybody in logistics package and delivery was making astronomical money, Um, but the workers weren't seeing it. You know, and all we're asking for is you know to, to to give us some proper ventilation, give us some air conditioning, put some proper fans up. But no, they would prefer to put surveillance on us. They would prefer to yes. spend that money to put cameras in the vehicles.
0: Yeah, I, I I don't think that I had no idea. I would have just assumed that UPS and FedEx trucks had air conditioning in it because I haven't been in a car that didn't have air conditioning in it for ages, or at least if it, it had air conditioning at one time. I drove a car for about a year that its air conditioning broke, but that was, it was broken, right? <laughs> like, that yeah, wasn't the yeah. norm. That was the, uh, and and everybody has air conditioning in their cars now. Like, it, it is weird for it not to, but it's my understanding is thing. that no no UPS truck has air conditioning, right? No, none that's insane and and let's
1: let's go to the history of it jacob uh the first air conditioner that went into vehicle production i believe not into production just invented was somewhere around the 30s and 40s right it not till about the 70s that they start doing it in more and more production you know uh style where they were actually producing it for vehicles and maybe just one or two makes at the time who knows here we are in 2023 jacob I mean, I'm hearing guys saying, well, UPS has been running like that for over 115 years. AC hasn't been around 115 years. Huh? Right. OK, <laughs> so let's do the math. And as, if I'm doing the math, <laughs> I'm saying to myself, well, I think uh, it's our time. Thank you. Can we please mm-hmm. get some now? It's only been God knows how many years. Let's go. Let's get it in our trucks.
0: Do they even have they don't even have fans, do they? No,
1: some of the trucks now we're starting to see some fans. And it, it, it's in the contract. Uh, I don't know if you know, one of our workers also tweeted um, that he had requested a fan. And it said, as As per corporate, the mechanic wrote, as per corporate, we can't give you a fan. Basically, mm-hmm. that's all in a nutshell what it said. And it says in the contract that they have to provide fans when asked for them. And the, the, the young kid, Elliot Lewis, who actually, you know, is one of our uh, workers that's been with the company a little over two years now, uh, actually probably going on four years now, he actually posted the the picture of the D V I R which which is from the company. It's something that the driver's riding when there's something wrong with the vehicle. Like mm-hmm. if your doorknob's broken, if your mirror's busted, you ride it up, the mechanic fixed it. So he wrote it on there and that's the answer he got. And in the tweet he also put the contract right next to it. So you could see that how, you know, ridiculous <laughs> right, nice. it was to have an answer like that.
0: But they do have the money to, or they do want to spend the money to put cameras in the vehicles.
1: Correct. This is why in Local 804 on the 28th, we had a rally behind it uh, on Forster Avenue in one of our Brooklyn facilities. Uh, our president, Vinnie Perone, was there. Um, we had uh, one of our brothers, uh, Shop steward from Forster Avenue, Antoine Andrews, and a few other people spoke at this, um, what we call the um, safety, not surveillance campaign. Hmm. Because again, you know, here's a company that over the pandemic and over the last few years has made billions in profit, at least tripled their profits. Um, And we're expecting some of that to be shared with the workers, right? I mean, you would think that if a company wants to keep its workers happy, you know, but not them. I mean, you would think that
0: UPS in particular would be sensitive to that argument because FedEx, because UPS has so outperformed FedEx during this time because their conditions, uh their their uh their salary and benefits packages, um, you know, whatever whatever we want to say about them, and, and we can and I'm sure we can say a lot, they're significantly better than FedEx's. is, and so UPS has had a much easier time keeping positions filled than FedEx has. And I saw this report about how UPS is way outstripping FedEx in terms of uh revenue, in terms of profit, and in terms of on time delivery and customer satisfaction and all of these things. Why is that? It's because they're taking better workers. care of their workers than FedEx. And so you would think that they would be amicable to this, in, uh, to that kind of argument, instead of just going on a war.
1: Well, you would think. But it's actually because of the unions that people stay at these jobs. It's not because of the company. It's because right. the unions fight for us to have a good pension. The unions fight for us to get higher wages and, and wages that are at, at, at that standard that a lot of companies can't match because we fought for it and this is what what's happening with other companies and why you know they're having trouble finding people to work for them
0: right right yeah even even where uh even where it is benefiting the companies to pay their workers well they don't want to do it <laughs> unless the workers are forcing them to, and I think that's really, you know, that that's really a, a big takeaway from from all. The of real us.
1: shame is that these companies have more than enough money to mm-hmm. share uh, a little more. Like we're not asking. We know the company is the cash cow, right? This is how we make our living. We right. know that they have to have enough money to, you know, continue the business, keep it running, make profit. We get that. But at the same time, how much is necessary? You're lining the CEO's pockets. You're lining the shareholders' pockets, and you're not contributing to what the workforce needs. Mm-hmm. You're not giving us our fair share. We're not asking for you know let's 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 use an analogy. It's a huge pie of pizza, right? We got it. We get that they have to have a majority share of the pie. But you know what? You can give us a slice instead mm-hmm. of a slither, or instead of some crust. You can give us shit. How about two slices? Throw some pepperoni and anchovies on it. You know right, what I mean? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, so the two tier is, is another issue that's been uh, that that's coming up in in several of these contract fights that we've been seeing at the UAW, BCTGM, all of these uh, campaigns, and and we're seeing it at the UPS um, uh, in in these contract uh, negotiations or in the run up to them as well. Uh, talk to us about what. The specifics of the UPS two-tier system are
1: well. It's 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 not as complex as you think, but it. The issue with the two with the two-tier job, especially the one that was created over the last contract, which is the twenty-two four driver uh, combo worker, um, it wasn't used as it was supposed to be used, and a majority of the membership, you know, turned it down. It's something mm-hmm. that the the Hoffa regime. Decided to implement, or should I say, ram down the workers' throats, because they used an old loophole stating that two thirds of the membership didn't vote. Therefore, we could continue to push this through,
2: hmm.
0: which
1: a lot of members really felt it was unfair. It was something that you know shouldn't have been put. That we knew it was no good for us. One because we knew it was going to create a divide. So right. the first thing you have to understand about the two twenty two four is that they're meant to uh, work inside the building and then go and help relieve the drivers of overtime. That's what it was meant for. But mm. honestly, in most facilities, they're using them just to be drivers. They're doing the same work that any other driver, which is now called an RPCD since the 22-4, which is the acronym for regular package car driver. Um, now that's the the job. So to get into the company, you have to be a 22-4, and you can't become an RPCD till 25% of that uh of that um, volume of 22.4 is met. Once they're over Mm. 25% at that facility, then they could start to promote them to RPCD, which is again, and another thing, which is very, very hard and why it's creating a huge divide is because a lot of drivers are entitled to things the 224s aren't. So Mm -hmm. if I'm a full-time driver and I ask my supervisor, may I have an eight hour request load? It's usually granted to me without any issues. Also, when it comes to getting on the opting into the 9-5 list, which is for drivers that don't want a lot of overtime, um, when you get on to opt into the 9-5 list, if the company violates you 9.5 hours over a three-day period or within three days of a week, you can grieve them for triple the salary, which is double time plus your irregular rate. A 22-4 can't do that. Unfortunately, a Mm 22-4 cannot opt into the 9-5 list. He doesn't have 9-5 rights. It wasn't in the language for them. So when a twenty-two-four hears, "Oh, I'm, I'm I'm opted into the nine-five language," he's going to be like, "I want to opt in on that. Can I get some of that?" Uh, right. No, I'm sorry. You know, they can work them to the bone. It's really sad. And same thing with the request loads. Uh, a twenty-two-four again cannot ask a supervisor for an eight-hour request because it's not it's not a right of his. He doesn't have that in his language. So it, it creates a divide, especially when mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. the you know, when the when the regular drivers are there saying I'm going to get a request load and these young drivers come in as twenty two fours fours and they hear it and they want it and they want to know why. Why can't right. I get on that? I do the same thing he does, you know, so right. that, it created a really big divide.
0: And so the membership is pretty, uh, pretty animated about getting rid of that and, and making being able to come in at uh, entry level as a driver.
1: Yes, the the new, uh, you know, our new leadership is pushing really hard. That was uh, the premise that Sean O'Brien, one of the things he was running on, um, the 22-4 language would be, you know, eliminated, and we would uh, then make all those drivers our PCDs. Like, there would be no two-tier driver job. Another big thing would obviously be uh, part-time pay also. You know, Mm. uh, part-time pay varies across the country. And in some places they would have these MRAs, these market rate adjustments, where uh, around a certain time, like peak season, they were given like an extra three or four, even $5 bump an hour. And then right after the holidays, it was taken from them. And it's like, if you can afford to pay it, why just not pay it? You know these mm. part-timers are working just as hard as anybody else. They're uh, they're some of the backbone of this uh, corporation. You know they're right. in those trenches, they're in those warehouses, unloading thousands of pieces off these trailers, loading up hundreds of package cars in every facility. You know um, it, it's it's very it's very disheartening for an inside worker to get the kind of wages that they're getting in comparison to what a full-time driver makes.
0: Right. I I, I mean I can only imagine. Um... And, and so how, how is it that the how, – how are the Teamsters going to create the bargaining team for, for, the, for this national contract? Has that been – has that plan been released yet or is there something in the Constitution that talks to that?
1: Well, you know, the, the, uh, I'm not really too familiar with the whole process. What I can tell you is that they do have a timeline for the way things are going to go down. They're already setting up a uh, contract campaign com- coordinator – um, and they are starting to build, they will start building committees within the locals. But before that, there's gonna be a lot of surveys that are gonna go out to the, mm-hmm. um, to the uh, employees. You know, all the members are gonna be able to take a look at what they think they want, things that they would like to have implemented, things that they feel are fair. Um, everybody's gonna have a right and a voice to uh, state their opinion. And they're gonna take all of this information little by little create these committees within the locals and then uh then they start i guess negotiating at that point um so we'll see where it goes from there
0: has ups um been giving any hints in the press uh or to the union about what their stance is going to be like during negotiations, because uh, the Teamsters have been pretty clear about their priorities about eliminating two tier, about um, you know significant wage increases and, and everything. H- has has UPS come out with anything about that?
1: Honestly, I haven't heard anything. Um, they've been uh, you know mum's the word with that. Hmm. Uh, if I see anything, I'll let you know. But right now, it's like. <laughs> We have demands. There's a, we're not right. asking anymore. As Teamsters, we have demands, and they have to be met. And, um, you know, uh, we're ready to strike if we have to. That's for sure. Um, if you're playing... We haven't uh, struck in over 25 years. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if you're playing, um, you know, uh, psychic, uh, seeing into the future, looking into, the, into your uh, crystal ball, um, do you anticipate a strike next year?
1: Um... I, I feel there's a possibility that the company is going to not want to create that kind of uh, uh, uproar that's about to happen. I feel like if the company is smart, they will make sure that the Teamsters get everything they want. And this will uh, diffuse something that can become, uh, you know, revolutionary. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, we'll definitely be following it closely. Um, We're going to be getting on, at at some point, um, some of the local Teamsters uh, were really excited about uh, working with them more closely in the run-up to this contract. They voted, the Teamsters local that's closest to us actually voted in a higher percentage for uh team the teamsters united slate than any other local in the country actually which is really fascinating yes. muscle shoals alabama voted 96 percent for uh the teamsters united slate wow. yeah
1: very so, nice yeah we were up in the 90s too but that's that's very uh wow very
0: nice yes kudos yeah. to
1: alabama that's well right. listen we all wanted new militant <laughs> leaders and we are mm-hmm. we're getting we got them
0: yeah I, I think so. Uh, he was definitely an electric speaker at the uh, labor notes convention and so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing what they do and uh, to talking to some folks down here so uh, uh Tony, I appreciate it. Is there anything else that you think um, that you think folks should know about um, you know what UPS drivers are going through and these uh, contract negotiations that are coming up in 2023?
1: Well, one thing I would say is everybody should start keeping their ear to the ground. Listen to their local leaders. Find out what's going on. Make sure they fill out the surveys when they come around. Start preparing uh, by saving your money anywhere from 100 bucks a week. If you can do it, 50 bucks a week. We don't know if the strike is going to happen, but you mm-hmm. want to be prepared. You want to be able to sustain a good long strike if necessary. There is a lot of money in our strike fund, but paying up 350000 wages over a couple of weeks, it will dissipate very quickly. So we mm-hmm. have to save our own money. Let's be smart. And um, listen, in 97, when I was on strike, I was just 22 years old. You know, I didn't have a lot to think about back then. Uh, I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids. It was a different time. And and you know what? There was no social media, Jacob. There was no Hmm. there was no we didn't have a way to let the people understand what's going on out there. So we didn't get the support that we're getting now. If 2023 is going to be a big difference, it was back then we had a lot of truckers supporting us, a lot of blue collar workers. But believe it or not, a lot of people looked at us as greedy teamsters wanting more money. Mm. And it's like that wasn't just the, that was just not the case. Um, now people are seeing they're seeing unions are fighting. You've got, uh, you know, uh, unions trying to get in Amazon. You got you got uh, unions in Starbucks now trying to. And it's changing the dynamic. People are looking at us all now as good guys. We're out there to defend the workers, stop the exploitation of workers, defend the workers. And, again, you know, sometimes it's necessary to take your workers and and let the company know that all these billions of dollars you Mm -hmm. make is on the backs of these workers. You have no money if we're not out there making it for you. So treat us right because in 2023, especially at UPS, we're coming for what we're worth. We're coming for what we deserve, and you're gonna have to pay up.
0: Tony Rosario, Teamsters Local 804.
3: Good stuff from Tony. Really, yeah. Really enjoyed that. Thank
1: Definitely. you, guys. I appreciate it, man. I met Jacob down in Labor Notes, and I knew he was a this. This guy's a, is a rocket,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know I had to bring it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, right yeah. guys. Well, have a good one. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Jacob. All right. Yeah, that's. Really awesome. Looking forward to uh, uh, updating y'all as we get closer and closer to those contract negotiations. Definitely something that we're going to be keeping an eye on for sure. Looking forward to bringing him back on the show sometime. And I'm I'm going to send that interview to uh, going to send that interview to the folks over at uh, our Teamsters. See what they think about that.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So yeah, the New York Times has a daily podcast, and the other day they talked about inflation in uh, just a really really insane way. Uh, the way that they talked about it was the way that you, the ways that you as an individual can make inflation better or worse. Um, And I think maybe we'll be able to start seeing the problem already. (laughs) You know, talking about how how can you as an individual consumer affect this international phenomenon that we've got post COVID due to supply chains, uh, you know, due to, uh, uh, employee shortages due to people not paying their employees well enough to keep them on the payroll um, due to wars. How is it that you can consume your way out of this? <laughs>
3: yeah, just put me in charge of the economy and I'll get right on that. Yeah.
0: So let's listen to their prescription for how to make inflation better. What's the second behavior
2: that contributes to inflation going down? So another thing you'll often see from people – who think that this is just a temporary situation is they try to just kind of supplement their income on the side by working a little bit more. Hmm. That can be good for two reasons. A, it can obviously help people deal with the inflationary burst. B, it means that there are more workers in the economy putting in more hours. When more workers are putting in more hours, they produce more stuff. If you have more stuff, supply keeps up with demand better, and that can actually help inflation to moderate. Hmm. So a good example of this is, say I'm a waitress at a restaurant and I'm facing all these higher costs and I know I need to cover them. One option I have, if I think that these costs are going to be temporary, is to just work more hours, try and make a little bit more money so that I can cover my rising costs. Mm -hmm. As I work more hours, as I increase my labor supply, it means that my employer is able to sell more dinners without having to hire somebody else to work alongside me. The fact that it's not having to hire from one of my competitors likely means that it doesn't have to pay more in wages. And that means that higher labor costs aren't getting passed along to the consumer through menu price hikes. Mm. And so my improved labor supply could actually help to keep prices for consumers under control.
0: So that's interesting. Uh, You can make inflation better by working more. uh, Let's see how (laughs) you can make it worse. Okay. So what are the examples of reactions to inflation that make inflation worse?
2: So let's go back to our waitress here. If our waitress thinks that this inflation is going to last forever, that not only are prices going to stay high, but they are going to continue rising, and that that's going to go on year after year, month after month for a long time. She's probably not going to just plan on increasing her hours indefinitely. Instead, she's going to ask for a big wage increase. And if she doesn't get it, she's going to leave the company and try and get a different job somewhere else that will pay her a lot more. Mm -hmm. As that happens, the company that is paying her a lot more, whichever restaurant ends up being her employer, is going to have to charge customers more for... You know, the eggs and toast she's serving up every day Mm -hmm. because her labor costs have increased a lot. They know she's a valuable employee. They want to pay her for it, but they also, you know, do need to make a profit. And so we're going to see higher prices on the menu. And that is how you get an inflationary spiral. You know, this is the, the bad news outcome where higher expectations for inflation lead to higher wages and higher prices in a sustainable way that kind of chase each other.
0: It's it's naturalizing anti-worker propaganda. It is naturalizing propaganda, naturalizing uh the system that we've got, naturalizing the way that inflation is and it's and it, it is anti-worker propaganda. They are telling you that if you ask for a raise to match the inflation that has already happened, then you are going to make inflation worse, even though the inflation came before you. So you're just trying to match it by asking for even a 10% raise. If you ask for a 10% raise right now, you would have matched inflation. You would have just matched inflation.
3: But according to the New York Times, you'd be making it worse.
0: There's nothing on corporate profiteering in this episode of the New York Times Daily Podcast. There's no mention of the fact that asking for a raise would trail inflation. No mention of the fact that wage growth has been slower than inflation, 50% as much as inflation up to this point. No mention of industrial policies that would help by increasing supply. Because the economics 101 def, uh, the 101 explanation of inflation is too much money chasing too few things. Well, you could try to take more money out of people's pockets, but you could also try to make more things. Because that is a key issue that we're facing right now, is that the supply chain is not getting the goods and services to people that they want to purchase. There's no mention of Maybe to combat inflation, we can have the government force corporations to bring prices down, like they're actually doing with the Inflation Reduction Act and putting a cap on Medicare uh, drug prescription drug pricing.
3: Such as that is. I mean, as watered yeah. down as that is. But, but there is a, right. a, a par- That's portion a policy. of that there,
0: there was something – there was a policy that was cut by Republicans. There was a policy that was cut by Republicans, a proposal to cap – the price of insulin at $35, whereas right now the average price is like $100. That would be a 30% reduction in life-saving medication for millions of people across the country. That would obviously affect inflation so much more than whoever it is that is listening to the New York Times Daily podcast that is going to work an extra 10 hours a week. As opposed to asking for a raise.
3: I mean, the whole concept itself is asinine.
0: It's in, It's insane.
3: I, I understand there is a time and place to give people advice as individuals, acting in the economy, ways to save money, way to you know be right. smart with your finances. That's all fair. I mean, that, that's real, um, but. There's a difference between like telling people, hey, you should clip coupons and swap brands and do this and that, uh, update right. your budget. But affecting inflation, really? yeah, yeah. that's
0: that's it's totally a different animal.
3: That's not our place as individuals. To the extent that we have individual responsibility here, it's to organize and advocate for a better political economy. Right. That's mean, can you the, that would be the solution, right? Uh, would be how about you organize with your coworkers right. and your community and start to build power as working class people so that we can actually uh, influence the government, influence corporate America.
0: I mean, just imagine doing a piece and then even even if we're going to going to center around this bs liberal individualism you know the inflation is going to be caused by like millions of individual decisions and we want to influence those individual decisions how are you not going to say that oh well if you're on a corporate board you should not vote for a 20 percent raise for the ceo this year you should maybe only vote for no raise or maybe vote for a pay cut for the ceo like, that would be an individual decision that a person could make, theoretically, and those people are going to be far more likely to listen to the New York Times <laughs> exactly. daily podcast than a waitress, right? Than, you know, than a freaking random waitress. And so, you know, look, if you want to influence individual decisions to... Speak to your audience. Yeah, towards making inflation better or worse, talk to the freaking corporate executives that are listening to you. I mean, just the the... The absurdity, the absurdity of somebody with that audience, with an audience of corporate executives telling a waitress that she needs to pick up shifts on the weekend to make inflation better.
3: But don't ask for a raise.
0: It's insane. Looney Tunes.
3: Yeah, I mean, I know this is just you know their podcast it's not necessarily a reflection of the entire paper but the New York Times time and time again really just shoots their own credibility
0: yeah Um. so we're going to wrap a little bit early but I do want to get to this we'll, we'll probably it'll only be like an hour Adam are you good to hit the World Socialist website stuff or, or do you want to save that
3: we can go for it.
0: All right. So, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the World Socialist Website, um, and since then, our friend Connor Lewis did a little bit of digging, and they f- and 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 he found some interesting stuff. Um, not necessarily, you know, a completely damning thing if, if you're picking up what they're putting down, if you're buying what they're trying to sell, you know. Uh, but but definitely some things to keep in mind, uh, people that find themselves sympathetic to the World Socialist website. Um, particularly, these are things that, that I think are particularly instructive when you want to figure out the... Um, the good-faithedness of their criticisms of unions with respect to democracy and democratic processes and membership participation. Um, so here's the first set of those tweets uh, from from Connor Lewis, and he says uh, – I'll read the tweets for the people uh, that are just listening on the podcast. Well, their stuff might be harder to dig up, but – the World Socialist website is a constellation of for-profit companies bottom-lined by David Green, a.k.a. David North, and Eric Lee, a.k.a. Eric London. Two keys. Uh, WSWS.org, Inc., and marrying Books Incorporated, both incorporated in Michigan. The common officers on all of these are David Green, the president, Eric Lee, the secretary, and Joseph Tanneru, the treasurer. So the, fir- the f- this is the, the a big thing. And, and this is something that I, I, have, I have heard for a while, but I hadn't um, – I hadn't – been able to like actually uh, I hadn't seen the proof of it and so I hadn't said it but but the world socialist website the socialist equality party and some entity called Mering are all for-profit companies and they are all headed by the same uh, pseudonymous people Uh, he substantiates that with screenshots and later tweets um, of those documents that's not been challenged by any of the folks named here even though they did some attacks of their own later against connor um,
3: and I'm sure the attacks against us are are coming as soon as this. Oh yeah, well, they drops. did a few
0: attacks. well, they they basically retread uh they didn't have anything else to say about me, so they just retread the articles that they wrote about me last year. <laughs> so nothing new or interesting there. um so next Connor elaborates on that, um saying that, Showing that actually the Socialist Equality Party is not even a separate entity. It's not even a set; it's own for-profit entity. Um, it is a it is a na- another name for the World Socialist Website. In the tweet, he says, "No, the Socialist Equality Party is actually the for-profit corporation WSWS. It's an assumed name for WSWS, which again is a shareholder-based." For profit corporation. It is not a nonprofit or a PAC. Uh so that's pretty wild. Um and then in the next tweet, he says, according to their articles of corporate of incorporation, WSWS and the Socialist Equality Party are run by shareholder meetings. Not members, shareholders. In a company or an organization's Articles of Incorporation, you, you, you have to say how it's going to be run. How, how are you going to be accountable to your shareholders or, in the case of a union, to your members? You've got to lay out the framework. Well, in the Articles of Incorporation for the for-profit company, the World Socialist website, and the Socialist Equality Party, it says that the organization is run by shareholders, not by members. And that's a pretty wild thing, right? If you're going to criticize the UAW for not being responsive enough to its members, but you're not even run by your members? You're run by shareholders? That's interesting. That's pretty wild. And then in the next tweet, uh, he... Connor talks about David North. Uh, he says, let's get into David Green, David North, uh, the retired CEO of a multimillion-dollar printing company. He founded Grand River Printing, according to a corporate history published in 2000, uh, and gave some founding principles about, I don't know, good things, uh, <laughs> presumably. And not only that... But said company did lucrative business with Chrysler. That's very interesting, which is one of the big three automakers that the UAW bargains against. The same UAW, the same United Auto Workers that the World Socialist website is constantly attacking. That is pretty curious. And so, you know, the last thing in in that is, so to some, the Socialist Equality Party does not exist. It's a registered fictitious name fronting for a for-profit corporation and another associated for-profit corporation. The officers are the same on both of them, and all of them use pseudonyms, and the president is a retired CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation. Uh, That's not great, I would say. And, you know, I mean, look, if you want to run your media organization on a for-profit basis, I think that's that's fine. That's not, you know, just being a for-profit corporation as a media institution, you know, maybe it's fine, maybe it's not. I think that as a media institution, as a socialist media institution, you would want to run it on a on a non-profit basis. Uh, you would want to run it cooperatively, presumably, you know, um, but for a party, you would definitely want that to be run by the members. Um, and so it's pretty inconsistent, it's incongruent that this organization that is always pummeling unions, trying to pummel unions for anti democratic tendencies, some you know, some critiques. Of which we share, right? Like th- we have talked about on the show about anti-democratic tendencies in some unions and the need to reform them and uh, the need for unions to be re- more responsive to their members. But the Socialist Equality Party, the World Socialist website, is explicitly an undemocratic and capitalist institution. That's pretty Wild. Like, there's nothing holding them to their members. It's just these three guys deciding what's going to happen. And whatever you want to say about the UAW, whatever you want to say about the Teamsters, whatever you want to say about any, any of these other unions, there is at least a certain amount of... Democratic oversight there is a certain amount of say and that is evident in the fact that there are successful reform movements in these organizations there are uh, uh, instances of success and instances of more membership accountability you know if I was living in a glass house I would be hesitant to throw stones Is basically what i'm saying um and then this last tweet is is more of a throwaway of (laughs) where connor connor is responding to a critique that he got from a fan of the socialist equality party that says small businesses are essentially cooperatives versus unions which are worth hundreds of millions who regularly take corporate bribes and have leaders go to prison Um, and again This is something, interestingly, that we got a take exactly like this from a right-winger in our comment section a while back saying that small businesses are basically cooperatives. Uh, And that's not true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is not true. Uh, And so Connor says, Vanguard Party, nah, let's do small business socialism. That's not for me.
3: Hey, if, if they do happen to run it as a cooperative and it's not listed on their documents, then, hey, good for them. Um, I just—I I really just don't like the way they go about politics. Um, it's not so much the substance. It's the style, I guess, more than anything, Um, because I, I think it's—seems to me— From the outside, they spend more time, like, scouring the Internet looking for critics of themselves Hmm. or just going off on really bizarre uh, tangents and, you know, talking about Harvey Weinstein and uh, those types. It just – I don't know. Something about them really rubs me the wrong way. Um, And as I mentioned, I think when we had Connor on the show – It's not unusual for me to to read one of their articles and agree with about 90 percent of it until you get to a section that's just totally off the wall.
0: Um, Young lefties beware.
3: Yeah. I mean, if look, if there are members of that organization or supporters of that organization that are doing good work out in the community that are building working class power by all means, good for you. Uh, I hope we're all pulling in the same direction. Yeah. I'm someone who's been willing to work with very diverse types of people across ideological lines, uh, whether they are various strains of Marxist or anarchist or just traditional liberals and and Democrats. I've even worked with conservatives right. uh, on various issues. If If it meant that I didn't have to sacrifice my principles and we were ultimately doing a good thing Mm. for regular working class people. Um, And so that would apply here. You know, if 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 you're a member of that organization and you're doing things I agree with, then cool. Uh, But I don't like that they have just made up shit. Uh, like about you specifically, which again that calls into question a whole lot of their coverage. I've, I've seen some of what they. I know that they have put in some false information out there, right? Um, and I just am really suspicious of their tactics. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: That's going to be it for uh, for us today. Folks, we appreciate you hanging out with us uh, for this pre-taped episode of The Valley Labor Report. We will be back to our regularly scheduled live shows on the 20th with, uh, we haven't confirmed everybody, but it's looking like it's going to be really, really cool, so you should all... Support the show so that we can keep so that we can keep doing stuff like this. Um, so, yeah, folks, that's going to be it. Uh, leave us a voicemail, send us a text if you want to ask us a question. Uh, leave us a comment about this stuff at eight four four eight nine nine eight eight five seven. That is eight 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 uh, four four eight nine nine TVLR. And you can support the program by our merch at tvlr.fm. See you next week. Bye, y'all.